Welcome to Uprooted, the podcast from the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. I'm Josh Wise. Uh, this week, we've had our IATP board in town, and we've been doing some big picture thinking. And on this episode of the podcast, I am joined by our board chair, Pam Saunders, uh, Becky Glass, and Shivan Karpa uh, to talk a little bit about what some of the things we've talked about in the last couple of days. Um, Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> well, Becky, why don't we just start with you? You've been on the board since IETP's founding. Um, and maybe just give us a little insight into what was going on in people's minds in 1986 and how Midwest uh, noticed uh, what had been developing in rural America as uh, the bottom went out of the market price of farms and people who had been encouraged by federal agriculture policy to get bigger get out were losing their farms and it was causing all kinds of stress and and problems in rural America and it was also there was a there was a strain of that that was people who were angry like the Trump voters are today and there was a growth of beginning to be a growth of really right-wing populism. And Mark said, we got to work on this because people need to understand their self-interest and we want to build a base for progressive, forward-thinking agriculture policy. So in 1984, we helped organize the National Family Farm Coalition and there were groups in many states, including Wisconsin, which is how I met Pam, who's here with us today, um, who were doing progressive organizing and we made a lot of progress. We focused on building support for the Farm Bill. We did a presidential forum for the, you know, the upcoming presidential election. We did a lot of work. And what happened after the Farm Bill was that Mark said, it's really clear. Mark has always been somebody who thinks ahead, has a long vision and thinks ahead. Uh, it's really clear that if we want to have an impact on farm policy and what works for farmers in the United States, we need to understand that we're in a global system and we need to spend some time developing relationships with people around the world and in particular right now in Europe. So I'm going to go to Europe and a bunch, he left with his family for months and lived in Europe and met with people he had met who were engaged in this similar work and came back with a whole new set of relationships and stories about how everywhere he went in the meetings that he did and the, and the stuff he observed, there were groups like the ones in this country who were fighting corporate agriculture and who were trying to build sustainable systems who thought that all the farmers in the United States were Farm Bureau people, didn't know anything about this. And he said, and he was right, we really did need to have a way to engage internationally and in trade if we wanted to do agriculture. And in his basement, there were conversations about how we do that, and that was the underpinnings of the creation of the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy, which was very small, and it was a group of visionary people, including a founding board that was international, of people who had been working in this issue themselves and were, and were associated with Mark and were willing to join an effort to launch an organization and figure out as we built it what to do. But we knew that we needed to be a place where people working on the ground in the same direction that we were working to have real intelligence about what was going on with the, at the top of the international trade 
negotiations and the, and who the players were and and work and so that's how we started mm -hmm. and pam you've been farming for a long time and so you were involved with iatp kind of at, at that level for a long time before joining the board uh, talk about your interaction with IATP as a farmer and then how that kind of led you to become involved. Well, I call myself a recovering dairy farmer. <laughs> um, and um, my family and I farmed in Wisconsin during the time that Becky's talking about. And um, we were in crisis mode then. I see what's happening now as being um, on a continuum of crisis. It's, it's in the fore in the media now because of from suicide and because of, of trade policy. Um, and it's good to see it coming to the fore. And I think it, it really highlights the, the need um, and the relevance of this organization that grew out of that 80s crisis and has a real role to play in the current crisis, which is more of the same and deeper and um, requires some real um, nuanced analysis on the part of this organization. And so Shivan, you come to IATP through the world of climate change and climate policy, and that's where you operate um, with the Stockholm Environmental Institute. Um, how did you realize that, the, that what IATP was doing with sort of international agricultural systems was tied into the work that you were doing? And how has that connection kind of played out? Mm. Well, what I think is so striking about IATP's history, as Pam and Becky have, have told it, is that those key threads that Mark and the other visionaries at that time mm -hmm. really saw as the fundamental structural problems in a very foresightful way are you know, completely still with us today. Mm -hmm. And that's the importance of trade and how it's affecting individual lives and the threat of right-wing populism, verging on authoritarianism, and the sustainability problems. And so I think one thing that has changed in magnitude, if not quality, is the urgency of the sustainability problem. And that comes up nowhere so starkly as with climate change. Climate change imposes an immediacy on the sustainability issues that was working or looming 35 years ago, but now has come crashing down on us. And so acting in really fundamental transformative ways as quickly as possible has become something that we just have to figure out how to, how to do and how to do in a way that works for rural communities. For the last couple of days, we've talked about that and we've talked about a lot of other big picture issues. Um, we spent yesterday with the staff and board together Whoever wants to answer first, what's um, one thing that you took away from yesterday that, you, you know, maybe you came in thinking and um, got some more insight into? The work that I'm primarily engaged with now is the, with the, the nexus of the climate movement and working people in the labor movement. We work a lot to, with science, climate, climate scientists and those elements of the climate movement that are really focused on meeting science-based targets. And so what Shivan just said about the urgency of this and how it's crashing down on us is a fundamental part of how we focus our work. And one of the things that is happening is that in the climate movement, there's all this focus on where the numbers work and where we can reduce um, GHGs into the atmosphere 
And the fact that we need to do this quickly and that political will is a big problem. But the another big, I think this is the other big problem is that they talk about how one of the one of the biggest sectors where we can do this is agriculture. And that's the hope. That's one of the big hopes. But because I'm also working in this movement, I understand how much we need to do to figure out how to do that and have the political will to do it. It's a big gap. I'd have to add that this is really, really important. There's a, a hope and optimism among those who think about other sectors that agriculture is going to be our savior. Yes. That there's all kinds of stuff that can be done in agriculture, not only to reduce agricultural emissions, but to help recapture carbon in the exactly, soil and exactly. all these wonderful things. Yeah. And, and the, um, the optimism of that is something that the IATP's work, and especially this very recent work, can, I think, help provide a reality check. Mm -hmm. I think there's a, a, a courageousness in IATP's sort of intellectual integrity about this issue, because we are um, facing the potential um, of really looking at the changes that need to happen in agriculture, because it's true, mm -hmm. there is potential, um, uh, with the same population that we um, support and the rural um, fabric that we want to keep strong. And um, I, so I think there's, there's, uh, there's a, a, a bravery that's required to really face these issues squarely, and I think IETP um, is in a unique position to do that. You know, one of the things that you've talked about here and that we talked a lot about yesterday is the importance of uh, uh, policy creation that works for rural communities. And I know, you know, you guys have been working on that for decades. Um, and can you just talk about the importance of maintaining vibrant rural communities and, you know, maybe some things you've seen that haven't worked in the last 30 years that may, are contributing to the situation we're in right now? I think one of the um, contradictions that we face is um, industrial ag versus family farmers. And there's an overlap um, that we really need to face um, because sometimes um, the people that are participating in industrial ag are, um, again, on a continuum. They, they are the last people standing in mm -hmm. that rural community. Um, so there are, there are a lot of social things that have to be faced in, in figuring out what kind of agriculture is in fact um, sustainable and does reduce the impact of meat and dairy in particular and the impacts on, on climate change. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's so true that, that one of the ways in which IHP's analysis is courageous is that IHP realizes there are no simple, quick, easy tech fixes. Right. And people who really want a tech fix mm -hmm. would really love to think that climate change and the whole syndrome of sustainability crises that, that are besetting us now have a tech fix. Mm -hmm. And that is so clear, um, especially in agriculture, because of the ways that it, it is completely integrated with and overlaps with with issues of rural development. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One thing that is true, not just in the farming sector, but in human behavior in general, is people are resistant to change. And people are going to change when they can see firsthand 
that the change will help them or help the system that they're in do a better job or protect them more. And the other thing that's happening besides climate that's really crashing down on us is the inequality gap in this country, which is growing. Mm -hmm. And people are feeling, in general, like they don't have very much room. So if they're just barely managing to fit together the pieces that keep them able to live in rural America and make food or work in the ag system or work in the healthcare system or the school system, and they're barely making it, it makes them more reluctant to change. And we have to change. And part of what we have to do is, is going to be tech, but part of it is figuring out how to create a way for people who need to be leading that change to believe that they have the flexibility to do that. Yeah, and I, I think what's equally challenging is when we're thinking about this stuff, we think about it in the US context, in the Minnesota context where we're based, but then we also are trying to think about it in the international context. And it, you know, th those are very different things, right? Um, you know, we're, we're talking about transforming conventional agriculture in the United States, but also transforming uh, su uh, subsistence agriculture um, in a lot of the rest of the world. And, and how do you balance those two policies? I guess I'm just curious, through your experience having been on the board and talking for the last couple of days, um, what your perspective is on, you know, creating this balance between you know, the developed and the developing world. I think it's something that's always been at the heart of IETP's work. Yeah, I agree. That's, that has to be at the heart. It has to be at the heart, especially with a problem with climate change, where it is inherently and fundamentally and structurally a global commons problem. Right. And we're either going to solve it in a way that's cooperative and is widely seen as fair enough, or we're not going to solve it. Right. And so understanding what are the needs, the fundamental developmental needs of developing countries and especially the rural populations is absolutely critical to solving this problem. Solving this problem even for us in the north. Mm -hmm. We can't we can't protect our climate without the cooperation of everybody in the world. Right. You made an even stronger statement about that yesterday, Shivan, which was alarming and, and likely true that um, even if we solved it here in the U.S., it wouldn't make a bit of difference. Absolutely. Our emissions, our greenhouse gas emissions could come plummeting down to zero tomorrow. It wouldn't make a bit of difference to the warming of our own climate. And that same fact holds true of any given country, of China. Um, mm. It absolutely has to be done in a cooperative way. Mm -hmm. The main purpose of our reducing our emissions is to show that we're doing our fair share to help forge a new developmental pathway to help trigger some of the innovation to help change markets and trade relations in the way that they would need to be changed and to show that we're a good global player right and sadly recent history does not suggest that that's the path we're headed right so not only are we in a situation where um, the leadership of our country in many ways is pushing the world the wrong direction in terms of climate change, um, we also are struggling with how we, as citizens of this country, can have an impact on that, which is not, connect not disconnected. Absolutely. I think that's one of the ways in which, again, ITP is courageous. Mm -hmm. IHP, it's definitely not just about technology. It's definitely not about 
economics definitely does not not just about policy. It's about power. It's about mm -hmm. power and it's about people, and it's about how power and influence flows now, and who holds that, and how that's gotten increasingly concentrated over the past decades through this history of liberalization policies that we've seen, and it's about thinking about how do we reverse that. You know, we talked about it yesterday a lot about what gives you hope right now, what gives you energy. These are really challenging times. And, you know, for, for IATP, you know, our, our system's thinking has been not only do we need to critique the current system, we need to provide a viable alternative. And so I'm, I'm wondering what's, what's giving you hope and energy seeing in the world, not just related to our work, um, about the potential to achieve that sustainable future. I think there's a lot to be discouraged by, but the thing that I take more hope from than anything else is the energy and the motivation of younger people. Mm -hmm. The way that they are not just concerned, but are passionate and motivated in doing stuff, including here at ITP. I think the younger staff here are so impressive, are so wonderful, are so energizing. And that's one of the reasons why I so enjoy being involved with ITP. Uh, another thing is the new wave of, what I perceive as a new wave of, of activism and, and small p political engagement, democratic engagement maybe, of the people in this country. I see many, many more people taking responsibility for figuring out if they can run for office or volunteering and doing support work. All kinds of ways that people are becoming more active than they have been in the last couple of decades. Young people, new people who are engaging, but also people who have sort of stepped back and are now thinking, what do I have to contribute to this? And that's hopeful to me. And while um, the power of the consumer is sometimes inflated, um, I think we, we we are developing more and more ways that, that people in their daily lives can, can uh, be aware and um, take action in their lives. And um, I think that younger people are definitely doing that and, and being on the forefront of that. And I think about you know, the industry that I was involved with for a lot of years, um, the organic food industry um, as being um, one of one of several of those kinds of things. That gives me some hope. One other thing, which is that when we started, Shivan talked about how the threads that were identified 30 years ago, 40 years ago, are the same, um, is true. And so a lot of what we need to do to fix the problem, the challenges that we have in agriculture and in climate change are one and the same. And they're the same things that we need to do to address inequality in many cases. And then maybe just to close, um, in the next, you know, you know, in, in kind of the short to medium term, um, you know, these things that give you energy, um, how, what, are, what are some ways that you could see them playing out or that you think would be a good strategy moving forward? One thing that's promising might be too strong a word, um, but a potential opportunity is that Trump's induced chaos may have opened windows for thinking about possible solutions that up until now 
wouldn't have been considered among the realm of politically realistic. Um, serious renegotiation of trade agreements, maybe questioning investor state dispute settlement processes, maybe. And so that's a possibility. And then the question is, who leaps forward to fill the gap? What solutions are at the ready? I continue to have hope that there are issues that touch people's lives that can turn out to be bridge issues. Um, things like water um, related to agriculture. Um, those are things that are critical to everybody, can be bridge issues, and um, can be things that can bring people to the right conclusions about what, what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Health and healthcare is another one of those potential bridge issues, I think. One thing that's occurred to me, you know, we've struggled as a board um, with um, the fact that we are um, all um, sort of on the upper end of the age spectrum. <laughs> um, but this kind of conversation and the conversations that we have with the young staff people at ITP make me realize that it's important to communicate the history and the continuum that, mm -hmm. that we are on. This is not new stuff. And um, it's a it's a long fight that we have to be in for the long run. The board chair said it well. Follow us. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, uh, Pam Saunders, Becky Glass, Shivan Kartha, thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Uprooted, the podcast from the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. For more about what you've heard today on the podcast, including to read the bios of all of our board members, you can visit our website at www.iatp.org. I want to remind you that this podcast is available for download on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and thank Andrew Arisso for editing the podcast today. Thanks for listening.